Today's scripture comes um, from the book of Luke, chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11. And if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, you may find us on page 728. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is God's word. So this morning, we're going to be uh, continuing our series on work. Uh, we started a sermon series on work a few weeks ago with uh, Pastor Chuck uh, using the first couple of messages to kind of give, I guess, what I would call a theology of work. And today, um, Pastor Chuck asked me to switch about switching vocations because uh, this is something I have a little bit of experience with. Uh, most of you know that I received my undergraduate degree in accounting, and I worked as an accountant for several years before entering into full-time ministry. Uh, when I was in seminary or in my early years as a pastor, frequently people would you know, ask me, you know, why did you change careers? Why did you, you know, choose to become a pastor? Uh, and those who knew that I was an accountant and that um, I had prior experience working for the IRS would joke around like, oh yeah, you just wanted to switch from the dark side to the good side, or you, wanted, you were just like this boring bean counter accountant and you just wanted to have a more exciting life as a pastor, and though um, your image of an accountant may kind of fit the stereotype, um, there's actually uh, much more to it than that. Uh, but just to kind of back up and refresh your memory a bit, and for those who may be here uh, for the first time, the reason we're having this series on work is because it supports our five-year focus as an English-speaking congregation. Uh, several months ago, the English ministry leaders were meeting, and they came up with this five-year focus, which is this. Um, see the next. We will serve Christ through our vocation such that within five years, we will have five members who are in the process of entering vocational Christian ministry. We will have five families relocating their jobs to serve as intentional witnesses in underserved areas of the world. We will have 20 college students who have pledged their careers to Christ. We will have 100 people in the English ministry who can demonstrate how God is using what their vocation provides them. That is, their jobs, their careers, their 
um, colleague relationships, companies, and fields for his purposes. So this is our focus uh, for the five years. And we're just kind of in the very beginning stages of kind of rolling this out and uh, getting everyone on board and, and figuring out what this all looks like. And so as it relates to the focus, you can guess that the message today will primarily focus on the first point of this focus, which is we will have five members who are in the process of entering vocational Christian uh, ministry. And, and let me clarify, too, and, and kind of add something. When I say when we have five members, I, I want to believe, um, uh, and I think that what we mean by that is like five family units, so that like if you have a family of, uh, of a husband and wife and three children going overseas on the mission field, um, sure, that could theoretically fill this one purpose or one goal, but I don't think this is what we envision. I think we envision at least like five separate family units going into vocational Christian ministry. And so you can guess that if we're going to fulfill this goals, God's going to be calling uh, some of you into full-time vocational ministry. And if you're tempted to tune out right now because you're like, this is not for me, this could never be for me, uh, I would ask you not to do so uh, because you may just be the one that God is calling into uh, full-time ministry. And I can tell you that because I was just like you uh, more than 15 years ago. Um, And once again, to clarify, you know, it's not just people becoming pastors. It could be people becoming missionaries or parachurch workers or some other, or entering some other type of nonprofit uh, Christian ministry. Um, But, you know, once again, whatever form it takes, some of you will have to move into these uh, vocations and leave what you're doing now in order to fulfill this goal. And and I recognize that going into full-time ministry is on almost no one's radar. Uh, For those of you you who it is, you probably make up less than 1% of the congregation. I mean, almost no parent, especially Asian parents, dreams of their kids growing up one day to become pastors or missionaries. They look at other children and it's like, oh, it's fine if other kids want to do it, you know, but not my kid. You know, they don't have dreams of, oh yeah, I'm going to send my kid to an Ivy League college so that he can one day become a pastor or a missionary. You know, once again, it's fine if other kids want to do it, but not my kid. And I know because I've experienced that with uh, my family and with, um, you know, a lot of people I know. Uh, for those of you who are college students or young, mar- young marrieds or young families, you know, outside of maybe four to six people in the congregation that I can think of, think of off the top of my head, I would guess that none of you have this as even a remote consideration. But once again, maybe you should, because maybe God is, or maybe God will call you into full-time ministry. But how do you know? How do you know if he's calling you? There's this practice used hundreds of years ago, which I think is still practiced by some smaller denominations today. And this is what they did. When a church needed a pastor, they followed the example found in Acts 1 when the disciples wanted to replace Judas. And what the disciples did back then in Acts 1 is that they casted lots. And so what these churches did was they had the congregation, everyone in the congregation would hear a sermon based on the qualifications of a leader coming from like Titus 1 or 1 Timothy 3. And then after the message... Each member would submit the name of a person whom 
he or she thought fit these qualifications. And anyone who got three or more votes was given the opportunity to decline, but otherwise their names would be put in the so-called lottery. And so, for example, if like five names were remaining, these were the five candidates. And what they would then do is like they would take a slip of paper and they would write one of two verses on it. It's, it's either like Acts 1, 24 or Proverbs 16:33. If you look at both verses, they talk about like casting lots and about how the Lord guides, you know, the decision in casting lots. And they would write one of these verses on a slip of paper and put it into one of the hymn books or, or one of the Bibles. And then the, the, the books, if there were five candidates, there would be five books. They would bring the books out and then put them on a table. And each of the individuals who were being considered would then pick one book. And the one book that contains the paper, that person becomes the pastor. As, as a real-life example, in 1995, a Mennonite congregation in Costa Rica used this method to decide whom to send to plant a church in war-ravaged Nicaragua. And there's an author who wrote a book about this. Uh, you know, it was about himself because he was this person. And he described it like this. He says, I leaned forward and took the book, the book that held my family's destiny. He thought to himself, God, I don't know what's in this book, but you do. Whatever it is, I want. A great hush blanketed the assembly. My children stared wide-eyed as the presiding elder gently turned the pages that separated the Old Testament from the New Testament. My wife and I bowed our heads. Tense silence. I prayed. The book I had chosen contained the paper. God was calling us to go. A wave of emotion rolled over the church house. Several months of pent-up emotions erupted as we buried our heads in our hands and wept. And understand, they wept because of the joy and the solemnness they felt because they had been called. I know some of you may weep for other reasons, but they were weeping because they had been chosen, not because they were chosen, but because they wanted to be chosen. And the author concludes, God was at work. It was hard for the church to accept their leaving, but they were willing, and we accepted that the lot confirmed his will. So this is how some church churches, or how many churches did it back hundreds of years ago, and this is how some churches even do it now. And probably most of you are quite thankful that we don't use such a method today, um, but that this still does not negate the fact that God does call people into full-time ministry, and he may be calling some of you. So once again, how do you know if you're called? This is something Many of you have heard my testimony before uh, when I first came, you know, to, to meet with, with you as, as a church. Um, you know, many of you know that this is something I had to wrestle with for a very long period before I agreed to give up my vocation as an accountant and go into full-time ministry. And as I thought about what to say this morning, as I, as I struggled with, with what to share, because, I mean, I just didn't really want to tell you something that you already knew, um, you know, I looked at this verse, at this, this passage, and I realized that some of the questions that I struggled with at that time were some of the same things that Peter and his companions had to answer when they decided to pull their boats up on the shore, leave everything, and follow Jesus. 
The first question that I see that Peter had to ask, answer was this. Will I obey God even if it doesn't make sense? Will I obey God even if it doesn't make sense? We see at the beginning of the passage that Jesus was teaching the crowds. You know, many people came to him. So many people came to hear him. In fact, that they were kind of pushing the crowds forward and they were crowding Jesus out. So Jesus, you know, thinks, oh, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to get, in, get into a boat and I'll teach the people from the boat and that'll kind of, you know, give, give me some distance and let me teach uh, the people better and, and kind of lessen the crowd. Um, so Jesus talks to Simon. He finds these fishermen um, washing their nets and he says, you know, let me get into your boat and let me teach the crowd. And so they did. And then after, you know, he got on the boat and he started teaching. And after he finished speaking, he tells Simon Peter in verse 4, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And for those of you who may be very familiar with this passage, you realize that this was a very kind of absurd thing for Jesus to ask Peter to do. Because here, basically, was this carpenter giving instructions to a professional fisherman on how to fish. I mean, there were just so many things wrong with this request, and Peter knew it. For one, it was the middle of the day when the sun was bright and the water is warmer, so the fish go deeper. They go so deep, in fact, that they can swim below the length of the net. The second thing is they had no success. This passage tells us they had no success catching fish the night before. So if they had no success the night before, why would they think they would catch fish now when there was even less likely of a chance to catch fish? Third, the nets that they were using um, were described to be these trammel nets, which are made of linen. And during the day, actually, when they're in the water, they're quite visible because they're made of linen. So the fish can see it. And, you know, I'm not a fisherman. Pastor Chuck likes to fish. He, He knows about fishing. I know probably hardly anything about fishing. But I could come to the conclusion that if you let down nets and the fish can see it, they're probably not going to swim in it. And this is what they were. These were these nets that went into the water and the fish could see it. So why would they think there was any chance the fish would swim into it? And then the final thing um, that I saw that was wrong with this request was that for Peter... You know, I, I was reading more about these nets they use in this whole fishermen, fisherman business and the process that they go through. And the nets they were using were actually, you know, very long, heavy, you know, uh, very bulky nets. They, they said, like, it took two to four men to deploy. And so it was a lot of work to deploy these nets. And after each, um, after, you know, each trip, each fishing trip, they had to bring the nets back to shore and wash them again. So after every trip, they had to you know, bring the nets back, wash the nets, so forth. In fact, in verse 2, we see that that's exactly what they were doing. They were washing their nets because they had just come back from fishing where they didn't catch anything. And so I'm sure Peter's like, why would I want to put the nets down, get it all dirty? I know we're not going to catch anything, and I'm going to have to wash the nets again. I mean, this is a waste of time. So, you know, once again, there was these numerous arguments that Peter could have just thrown at Jesus to, to protest why he shouldn't let down the nets. Like, you know, you, you know, I respect you, Jesus. You're cool. You know, you're a carpenter. You know the carpenter business. But I know fishing. And this isn't going to work. And he could have thrown that argument at Jesus. But he didn't. Peter was wise enough to obey Jesus, even though it didn't make sense. You know, his response is, because you say so, 
I will let down the nets. And I must confess that when I felt God calling me to, to leave my vocation, to go into full-time ministry, um, my, my response, my initial response was not as faithful. Uh, when I first sensed God telling me, you know, the first thing I was like, you got to be kidding, Lord. This is not right. This is wrong. I mean, I was at a very desirable place where I wanted to be in life. I was working for a company that I enjoyed working for, and I liked the people I work with. I was active in a church. I mean, I'd, I'd always been pretty active in a church, so it wasn't a question of me, you know, of my spiritual walk kind of faltering. I was always very active serving in a church. And um, I was, uh, oh, and the other thing was, the thought of going back to school was just, was just like an, an, a negative for me because when I graduated and when I received my undergraduate degree, I'm not the most academic person, as you guys know. And so when I received my undergraduate degree, I'm like, thank God, I am never going back to school again. That's what I said during, after my commencement, um, back when you know, I, I got my undergraduate degree. I said, thank God, I am never going back to school again. I'm done. And so when God says, oh, yeah, yeah I want you to leave and go to summer, he's just like, no way. And, and the, probably the biggest, most of you know, the biggest reason why I didn't want to go into ministry is because not only was I at a job I liked and a church I liked, but I was in a geographical location that I wanted to be in because I was in Honolulu. And I had always wanted to be in Honolulu. So I worked, for those of you who don't know, I worked two and a half years in Chicago. I'm, I'm originally from Chicago. And um, I was worked two and a half years as an accountant in Chicago. And then I got a job offer to move to Hawaii. And I'm like, I am there. And so I was working for several years in Hawaii. And it was great. And God says, God is putting in this, you know, God has given me the sense, like, I want you to leave and go to seminary. And I am like, no way. This is not going to happen. And that was my response. And so I had to come to terms with, will I obey God, even if it doesn't make sense? Or maybe even a better question is, even if it doesn't seem very desirable. So that's the first question I had to wrestle with. The second question I had to come to terms with was, will I trust God to give me grace and mercy to overcome my inadequacies. So after Peter and his companions let down the nets, the rest, you know, we know the rest of the story, the rest they say is history. They caught such a large number of fish that Peter had to signal the other boat for help. They caught so much fish that the weight of the catch, you know, was sinking the two boats. And so after this, you know, Peter realizes that Jesus is not just an ordinary man. You know, he's not just this good teacher, he's not just this prophet. You know, Peter knows fishing, but this is not fishing. You know, this is a guy who knows, who can know where the fish are and control the fish. I mean, that goes beyond fishing. I mean, this was supernatural. This was God himself. So Peter, overwhelmed by what has happened and recognizing who he is standing before, tells Jesus, you know, to leave, depart from me. Because I'm a sinner. You know, his mindset is surely a holy God would not want to have anything to do with a sinner such as me. And to his point, Jesus could have done just that. You know, Jesus could have told him, yeah, you know, you really had little faith. And you really are a sinner. And I'm going to depart from you until you kind of get your act straightened out. 
You know, he could have said that to Peter, you know, but he didn't. Instead, he does quite the opposite. In an act of mercy and grace, he tells Peter, don't be afraid. A better translation of this Greek word would be, don't be terrified, because that is what Peter was. Peter was trembling before Jesus because he knew he was in the presence of a holy God and he could face divine judgment. But Jesus calms him down and says, Peter, you don't need to be terrified. Don't be afraid. And then instead of distancing himself from Peter, he actually calls Peter to be in even closer proximity to him by telling him to follow him. And Peter found that Jesus extended him grace and mercy to overcome his sinfulness and lack of faith. And once again, this was something that I also had to wrestle with. You know, if, you, if, if you're sitting here right now and you think God will never call you into full-time ministry because of your inadequacies and shortcomings, you're in very good company because that's how many of the characters in the Bible were. You know, Moses told God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and lead the Israelites out of Egypt? I've never been eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. Gideon responded to God when God, told, when God called him. He said, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. When God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah, in the first chapter of his book, his first response was, Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. And Isaiah, we know, when he saw the vision of the Lord, and he's like, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the, the Lord Almighty. Yet afterwards, he responded to, be God's, you know, to God's call to be his prophet. And, and, you know, I responded like all these people. I mean, there are so many inadequacies and I have and so many reasons why I shouldn't be in ministry. And, and probably I've been here long enough. You've seen most of them. And so I had to come to terms whether I trusted God to extend his grace and mercy on me to do what I could not do on my own. And, you know, more so than having all the characteristics needed for full-time ministry, making yourself available for God's use is more important. I found this quote by St. Francis, St. Francis of Assisi, when someone asked him why God called him or how God called him in the ministry. He says, God picks the weakest, the smallest, the meanest of men on the face of the earth, and he uses them. And maybe just making yourself available is all that he needs you to do right now. And this relates to the last question that I want to share today, and that is this question of whether I understood God was calling me to a deeper level of commitment to him. Yeah, do I recognize that God is calling me to a deeper level of commitment to him? You know, as I was studying this passage again and preparation for this message, I was reminded of one thing. And that was the fact that Peter had prior encounters with Jesus and prior chances to follow Jesus and prior calls, you might even say, to follow Jesus. You know, we look, we look at this passage in Luke 5 and, and we may think, oh yeah, this is the first time Peter encountered Jesus and, you know, he, he had this miraculous uh, experience with Jesus and Peter followed him after that, but this wasn't the first time. In John 1, we read of a time when Peter was first introduced to Jesus through his brother Andrew. And even if you flip over to the chapter before, you don't need to do this, but even in the chapter before, you can see in Luke 4, we read an incident of where Peter goes to Jesus' house to heal 
his mother-in-law. And, you know, his mother-in-law had a high fever. Jesus goes over. He heals him. But in spite of all these past encounters with Jesus and even witnessing the so-called miracle and seeing Jesus heal his mother-in-law, Peter didn't leave everything to follow Jesus. Because here we see in Luke 5, he's still a fisherman. So maybe up to this point you could say that Jesus was a part-time follower of Jesus. You know, he followed Jesus, but he was still a fisherman with his fishing business. You know, he followed Jesus some, he fished some. You know, but here in our passage, Peter realizes that being a follower of Jesus requires more than just following him part-time. And so it says, so Jesus says to him, from now on you will be catching men. And Peter and, 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 and also his companions, and says they left everything to follow him. And, and understand, I don't think this passage in Peter exam, Peter's example implies that all of us need to leave our vocations to enter full-time ministry to serve Jesus. I mean, from other examples in Scripture, not everyone was called to leave their vocation in order to properly follow Jesus. I mean, Paul, for example, he didn't leave his you know, his vocation as a tent maker, you know, to do ministry. He did his tent making, but he also did ministry. So it's not that everyone is called to leave their vocation to follow Jesus. But I think the greater lesson here is this, is that walking with Jesus needs to take on such a priority that we are willing to do whatever and go wherever he might call us. The temptation for Peter certainly was there to use Jesus for his own personal gain. You know, after hauling in like, this great catch of fish, and, 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 you know, recognize, Peter was a pretty good fisherman. I, you know, it seems from the, this passage that, that how it describes it is they have a pretty good fishing, you know, business going on, a fishing, this fishing enterprise. And Peter, after this experience, could have thought to themselves, you know, man, I have got to get Jesus as a business partner. Because if I take on Jesus as a business partner, Man, my productivity in catching fish and my sales are going to go through the roof. And so I need Jesus on board with me. And, and, you know, to be honest, when I sensed God was calling me into ministry, you know, this was, I had kind of a similar thing about how I could use Jesus for my own personal gain. Now, I wasn't praying for God to call me into ministry. To be perfectly honest, during that time, I was actually praying for a wife. I was praying that rather than God send me somewhere and leave Hawaii and go back to seminary, that God would just let me find this girl, maybe at my church or some of this nice Christian girl to um, settle down with, you know, to marry and just be able to live my life in Hawaii. And so I had to come to terms with what place Jesus had in my life and what it meant to follow him. And so after a very long period of time. First of ignoring God's requests, then really wrestling with it and praying over it. Um, it finally got to a point where one evening I was walking along Waikiki Beach. It was one of the things I loved to do when I was there. So I was, I was by myself. I was just walking along in the beach. It was early evening. And, and I stopped to sit on a bench and I was just staring out into the ocean watching the waves come in. And it was still um, still somewhat sunlight, and the sun was setting. And so it was just very serene, because you see the sun going down over the water. It's, it's one of the things I like most about living in Hawaii. 
But anyway, you know, I, I was sitting down on the bench, just looking out into the ocean, watching the sunset. And I said, okay, God, if this is what you want, then I'm going to do it. Because I came to the conclusion that obeying God and leaving Hawaii was better than staying where I was in disobedience of him. I mean, even if it meant I would lose these frequent opportunities to go to the beach and watch the sunset, things like that, I knew I needed to follow Jesus. I became convicted of what the essayist Frederick Buchner wrote when he said, um, next slide, please. The place where God calls you to is the place where your deepest gladness and the world's deepest hungers meet. So I could have stayed in Hawaii and kept my job and, and, and you know, worked as an accountant. Um, but would, would that have been really satisfying if I knew I wasn't in step with what Jesus wanted me to do? And I came to the conclusion that, no, I needed to follow Jesus, even if it meant giving up my quote-unquote dreams that I had. And so these were the three questions that I had to struggle with as I thought about switching careers. And I hope by now you realize that these three questions that I had to wrestle with are the same questions that all of you have to wrestle with, whether God is calling you into full-time ministry or not. You know, will you obey God even if it doesn't make sense to you? Will you trust God to give you grace and mercy to fulfill and, and complete your inadequacies? Do you recognize that God is calling you to a deeper level of commitment to him? And, you know, what does this deeper level of commitment look like to you? You know, let's not say or sing things like, oh, yeah, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever. If he calls you into full-time ministry or to become a missionary or something, and you're like, no, Lord, I'm not going to go. I mean, is that willing to follow Jesus? And, you know, a lot of you ask, like, well, how do I know if I'm called? How do I know if God's telling me to go into full-time ministry? And I'll tell you this. Don't worry about it, because you'll know. You know, God may not part the clouds and, and with an audible voice say, you know, John, I want you to be a missionary to Africa, or, you know, um, you know, Jack, go to seminary. You know, he may not do that. But you will know, because God will put the sense in your heart. In spite of my repeated attempts to ignore this from God, he made sure I got the message. And I know if he can get it through my thick head, he can get it through your thick heads too. So if you, if you get the sense that God may be calling you to full-time ministry, it's probably from God, and you will know. You know, God was patient with me. It probably was like a year or more that he was talking to me about this. I'm like, nah, 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 this, this is not from God. But he got the message through, and he will do the same for you. So more so than worrying about whether I will recognize God as calling me or not, worry more about whether you will respond in obedience if he does call you. In the close, I'd like to read a testimony from one of our church members who actually is in the process of going into full-time ministry. Uh, many of you know, or at least have probably met uh, Tammy Shu. Uh, she's, not, she's one of our college students, and she's not here this morning because she's actually attending her commencement at Brandeis. Um, Tammy entered Brandeis with dreams of going to med school and becoming a doctor, uh, but 
in the end, she's graduating, and um, in a few months, she'll be joining the staff of Youth for Christ. Um, and it's not that she gave up her dreams of being a doctor because she flunked out or she couldn't cut it. You know, she's actually a very bright girl. She graduated in three years plus a summer, so so she's doing quite well. And um, and since she couldn't be here, I kind of asked her to kind of if she would just think about why she went this route and how she knew. She went this route, and I asked her to write up something, and so this is what she wrote. She said, after I became a Christian in high school, I developed a passion to serve Jesus. I felt this growing passion to be used to serve Jesus and serve people. I just wanted to know what it meant to love Jesus, obey Jesus, and serve Jesus for the rest of my life. At some point, I decided that I could fulfill this by becoming a missionary doctor and use college and med school as a stepping stone for a future life for full-time missions work. So I set out the college with this plan in mind. But it wasn't long before God revealed to me a deep and painful sin that stopped me from pursuing my plan. God revealed to me a serious idol, which was that I was actually pursuing this goal to serve my family and myself instead of Jesus. This is not to criticize others whom go, whom choose to go this route, But the reason I knew that I wasn't supposed to be doing this is because I realized that I was doing it for the wrong reasons. God showed me painfully but mercifully that I was not selflessly serving Jesus, but selflessly serving myself. I knew inside that I didn't want just Jesus. I wanted financial security, respect, and my own glory. But through meditating on the first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, God gently and repeatedly remind me to re-examine my heart for false idols, namely things like earthly security, stability, pleasing my parents, pride. Things took a big turn during the start of my sophomore year at Brandeis when I felt God calling me into full-time ministry. I had no idea what God wanted me to do exactly, but I knew that if I didn't spend the rest of my lifetime talking with people about Jesus and about what he did for me, I would never be happy in this world. But there is many times where I felt that perhaps God had picked the wrong person. I felt so ill-equipped, naive, inexperienced, and scared. So many times I questioned whether or not my decision to let go of med school and go into full-time ministries were too idealistic and inconsiderate towards my family's plans for me and what others hoped I could do. Even though I have very loving parents, a big source of challenge and discouragement has been through my own family. But through much time seeking the Lord's counsel through prayer and the word, as well as talking with brothers and sisters, I felt God asking me one question. Tammy, it's either your family or it's me. So what's your pick? I beg God for greater childlike faith and also for more perseverance. And God has been so good and so faithful to answer my prayers. Today, God is still casting down other idols in my life, showing me ways that I am not fully surrendered to loving and serving Jesus and Jesus alone. Today, I am still not sure where God is calling me to go for the long term, but I am positive that God wants me to daily see that where I am in the here and now is, in fact, my missions field. And because God promises to never forsake me, I know that this narrow road is an exciting adventure and that I would never trade it for any other one. You know, I didn't tell Tammy what I was going to speak about. Um, 
and I didn't tell her what to say, you know, and what to write. But can you see how, just in hearing that testimony, how that mirrors with exactly, once again, these three questions that we all have to wrestle with. You know, will I obey God if it doesn't make sense or if it's not what I want? Will I trust God to give me grace and mercy to overcome my inadequacies? Do I recognize that God is calling me to a deeper level of commitment to him? I mean, this is exactly as Tammy describes her process as it was mine, as it was Peter's. And you know, you may not be called into full-time ministry, but you are called to live a life of surrender to, to Jesus such that you will follow him no matter what he calls you to do. And it may just be as a pastor or a missionary or a parachurch worker. Let's pray. Um, Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word and for showing us how you work in people and how you are very gracious to call us to things that we might never expect, but which, in obedience to you, will give us our greatest joys and happiness and allow us to bear great fruit for you. And so, Lord, help us to surrender our lives to you, whether you're calling us into full-time vocational ministry or not. Help us to come to a point to be able to say, yes, Lord, whatever it is that you want me to do, be it entering full-time ministry, becoming a missionary, going overseas, giving up certain idols in my life. But let us be willing to do it because we know that our relationship with you is worth more than any of these things, any of the things that we could prize and hold on to on our own. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.